Thank you, Angie. Guy. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and these guys will be glad to give you one. Peter mentioned earlier that uh, Russ and Amy had a little boy this week named Brooks. Brooks is a great name. They apparently couldn't spell Randy. Uh, we'll let that go, leave that where it is. Take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 1. We'll get there in just a moment. Proverbs chapter 1. I really hope you can be here next Sunday. It's kind of cool to come hang out. And how many of you plan to be here next? And I know Chris Brown's going to help cook, so you need to come hungry. The young man, look at him. He can cook. He can also eat. But uh, it will be, it'll be fun just to hang out and get in the jumpy and watch uh, me break my ankle. And that, uh, The dunk tank, huh? Thank you. I will be winning the new car. I didn't know about that, but I need another Hot Wheels for my collection. Also, if you have not, as I have not, to be honest, I'm confessing a sin. You can write this down and pass it on. If you've not signed up to have your picture made for the directory, as I have not, uh, do that, please. Because it really does, is helpful look at someone's current picture and see how handsome or how beautiful they are. What I want to do today, and, and uh, I always think about on Mother's Day what I'd like to share. and One of the things that I love to do is just get in the Word of God and read the simplicity, yet the depths of it, and see what God's trying to communicate. And that's one of the reasons that led me to Proverbs, really to celebrate family and what God intended with, them, with a mother and a father and then children and what he was trying to accomplish, and, I, and then see how the church fits into that. And as I began to study that, he led me to this simplicity of this passage in Proverbs. Proverbs is a fascinating book. Uh, many people think you read it and it's just absolute promise to do this, this will happen. And really, it's more along the lines of guidelines. Just give you a simple example. Years ago, about 3,000 years ago, in the Near East, in the ancient Near East, the, the Eastern schools of wisdom, the teachers would give their final exams and they would be like this. The teacher would start a proverb and then the student had to finish it. So we're going to see how wise you are before we look at the book of wisdom in Proverbs. So I'm going to start a proverb and then have you shout out the answer. All right, you ready? Let's see how wise you are. Here we go. A dog is man's. See, that's an easy one. You're all very wise. Anybody miss that one? My wife said yucky. That's nice. All right. Don't cry over. Eh, it's getting easier, isn't it? Don't judge. <laughs> Don't judge a book. All right. Sticks and stones may break my bones. All right. Don't count your chickens. <laughs> Here's one some of you may not get, unless you're of my generation. Many hands. Who said make light work? Red, I'm impressed. Red Butler, he's been reading again. All right. Here's another one for Rhett. People in glass houses. Didn't throw stones. The early bird. The early bird may catch the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese. Very good. All right. Now we'll make it a little harder. Country music songs. We all have heard and some like, some do not like. Country music. I like some of it. Some of it I don't. Um, it's my son who is a singer, loves to sing, has a beautiful voice, says my taste music eclectic. I don't know what that means. Probably not good. All right. I'm going to start a country music song, you finish it. You ready? How can I miss you if you won't go away? So you're not as wise as you thought you were. All right. I would have wrote you a letter. You know it's a country music because it said wrote instead of written. I would have wrote you a letter, but I couldn't spell yuck. Here's one you probably will get. I bought the shoes that just walked out on me. I thought you would get that. I'll finish these for you, make it easier. I liked you better before I knew you so well. I've got tears in my ears from lying on my back while I cry over you. And here are my two personal favorites that I listen to all the time. You're the reason our kids are so ugly. <laughs> Mary sings that one to me every night. And here's my personal. If I'd have shot you when I wanted to, I'd be out by now. 
Boy, we've all been there, haven't we? All right. <clears throat> Turn to Proverbs chapter 1. I really do want to celebrate the family today. If you'll look at the title of the message, it's God's Family Principles. And yes, it's Mother's Day, and it, um, all of us, lack of a stupider answer, wouldn't be here if it wasn't for our mothers. And we realize that. But there had to be a father somewhere. And I think about sweet women in particular, and there are single parents and guys that are parents, I understand. But a lot of women end up being single parents because they had a husband who would not be the man that God intended to be. And it's important then that the church understands we have to be here to support, to be part of. The Bible says pure religion is taking care of widows and orphans. It's important for us to understand how significantly God looks at family. And for, and I remember when I first, as a, as a young Christian, as a young husband and we didn't even have children yet and we were married very young and uh, our first child was born with 21 and 20 so we had children early but even at, we first got married and even before our first child was born I began to, to, to teach a Bible study for young seventh grade boys and there were two or three boys in that group that did not have a dad and I realized immediately that they needed something from me that as a 19 year old 20 year old guy I really had a lot to learn but yet they desperately needed a guy to show them what a man is. And I had a lot to learn. And and yet God impressed upon me the desperate need in the lives of those. It was like eight, ten boys. They were just kind of my group at the church we were at. It was a very large church. And that's really how I first got into working with teenagers. These guys were like 12, 13 years old. They desperately needed a man to say, you don't do that. You don't do this. And because they're just things that a guy needs from another man, hopefully from a father. Not always. Not, there's not always a father there. And in my case, growing up, I had parents. Well, my father was not a Christian, had no interest in it, had no interest in me, to be frank. And my mother was, uh, I, I believe she's born again. She's a Christian, went to church, but so she had so many issues mentally and otherwise, just did not. And I had nobody until God brought some men into my life. And as, as I got saved, got involved in uh, church, the Bible was believed. One of the men was John Latimer, a founding pastor church. And he's one of the first guys that took an interest in your old kid. And shortly thereafter, I became a Christian. A lot of guys that God brought into my life. And what I want to do today is really encourage you to how special, encourage you how special family is. And even if you're single, how God wants to use you in the lives of others, even, even if you don't have children of your own. I have an aunt, 90, will be 93 on Veterans Day. And my aunt never had children. She could not have children. She's a, a, she was in my life growing up. My, she's my mom's sister. And my Aunt Louise, you hear me talk about her sometimes? She, my Aunt Louise was always there for us. When we would have a serious problem, and we'd be honest, we would have to leave sometimes if my dad was physically to my mother. It's dangerous. We would have to leave town. And my Aunt Louise was always there for us. And I told her at her husband. And my aunt's an interesting person. And I told her at, her at my mom's funeral and then at her husband's funeral, I said, she's not an emotional person. She doesn't like this kind of stuff. And she didn't even like to say I love you and that kind of thing. And I looked at her, I said, Aunt Lou, you know, I want you to know that I had two moms growing up. I had mom, they called her Jenny. I called her that, Virginia. She, she loved Jenny. Did not like my dad. And I, you know what I understood? And but I, my Aunt Louise, always there for us. And I love that town. I go up there now and I'm thinking, did I like about Henderson? And I know what I like about it is that I knew I was loved. I knew I had to, my, my aunt, and I'll tell you this, then we'll move on. My aunt was a, he called it a uh, beautician, I think the term. She owned a, what today would be called a salon. It was called the beauty box. And we would go up there and we would have to stay in the summer. We just stayed there. We'd have to go to work with her every day. I had to hang out every day in a Only male in the place. And next door, her, her husband had a barber shop. 
And I th- I'm going to go over and hang out with Uncle Hewlett at the barbershop and drink Coke and listen to the men cuss because I need to learn some new words. And Uncle Hewlett would not let me hang out. I never did like him except when he would take me to Chickasaw and let me jump in the lake or get in the boat. we go to the Tennessee River. But he wouldn't let me hang out in the barbershop with the men. Now I understand why. But, so I had to hang out in the beauty box. But my aunt made me work, he made me, and I learned that this woman loved me. What I want you to see as we begin to look at Proverbs, it is a book of wisdom. It's about the divine guidelines God gives us how to do life, specifically within the family context of a godly family. In, in Proverbs, a simple little book, my mother-in-law, who's 95, am I right? Mary's mom is 95. She taught me this years ago, and I've mentioned it. I want to mention it again. If you look in your Bible, how many Proverbs are there? 31. How many days in a month if it's a long month? 31. My mother-in-law taught me this years ago. Every day of the month, what it's like today, it's the 12th of the month, she would read Proverbs 12. Had years and years. Every day of the month, she would read the proverb for that day. And it's simple wisdom for how to do life. Practical guidelines for how to do life. You'll find stuff in here on parenting. We're going to look at some of that. You'll find stuff in here on purity, on how to manage your money. Do we need that? My son got married uh, two weeks ago, last week. I don't know when he got married. I, I, I don't know. I know he got married, and, and it was recent. If there's anything my son needs to learn, it's how to manage money, and Proverbs will help you with that. It help you help you with the power of words, how you can really hurt somebody just by what you say. It's amazing how much is in here. Teach you about humility. Teach you about hard work. My son needs to read one on hard work. It'll teach you about relationships. It'll teach you about peacemaking, on and on. How to do life on a daily basis. The theme of this book is that you would get the wisdom of God. Wisdom of God is how to look at things the way God sees them. Then you would understand that wisdom, and then you would live it out. That's what the book of Proverbs is about. It talks about how to relate to God, how to relate to your neighbors, how to relate to your family, how to relate to authority that's over you, whether it's a boss, whether it's a government. And one of the things that's, that's a pivotal focus in the book of Proverbs is family. Just like it was for God when he gave the children of Israel the Ten Commandments, three of the Ten Commandments deal directly with interacting and relating with family members. And one of the things that God points out in the book of Proverbs, throughout his word, the word of God, his love letters to us, is that the family is a husband and a wife united in a monogamous union. And one of the reasons he did that, and we don't understand all of it, God hasn't told us, but one of the reasons is that the children of Israel lived in a culture where polygamy was common. It wasn't the exception It was the rule. But God said, you're going to be different. My people are going to live in a monogamous relationship to show purity, to show, to picture to the pagans around them how you relate to God. That's what marriage is. That's what a family's supposed to be. My children growing up were supposed to see in Mary and I what it means to love another person unconditionally, even when that person may be a knucklehead like me, not Mary. How she handled that when I didn't do what I needed to do. How you love somebody, choose to do what's right when you don't necessarily feel like it. How do you relate to the other sex? How does a man treat a woman? How does a woman respect a man? What does it mean to love somebody? God said, I'm going to set it up this way. One man, one woman, and a monogamous union, and then the children that are the fruit of that relationship will see how it's supposed to be. How do they handle their money? How do they deal with their neighbors? Why do they go to church? Who's this God they talk about? And then they, the next generation, will do what? live out those practical guidelines, that wisdom to, in their world, for their peers, and that their children would then do the same. Look at chapter 1, verse 2. 
chapter 1, verse 2 of Proverbs. He's introducing the book. This is really the theme of the book, and it lasts several verses. One, chapter 1, verse 2. To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the, of the, words of the wise and their riddles. The message of Proverbs is this. If you are a person who is wise, you will listen to these wisdom, the words of wisdom of God. You will understand them and you will have a good life. But if you're a fool or folly, you will lead a life that ultimately will end in destruction. And the idea of fool in Proverbs and its contrast throughout, the wise versus fool, Jesus even did the same thing in the gospel for us. It's not a fool, not a stupid person, not a mentally challenged person, but a fool is somebody who looks at what God says and then says, no, I'd rather do it my way. I know better than you do, God. It's a spiritual choice that I mentally choose to reject the wisdom of God and live by the wisdom of man. By the way, that's where the United States is. How are we doing on that? Not good. It's amazing how relevant the book, God's book is. Andy Stanley, pastor many people know, Atlanta area, North Point pastor, several years ago wrote a really interesting book. It's called The Best Question Ever. And in his book, the best question ever is this. What is the wise thing to do? Here's how he builds up. He says, in light of my past experience, what's the wise thing to do? Trying to make a decision. In light of my current circumstances, the wise thing to do? In light of my future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing to do? The best question ever. What's the wise to do? What is it God would do? What is it he would have me do? All right, let's start in verse 8 of chapter 1 and walk through this quickly. Number one, the family is God's foundation. It's his idea, and it's for his glory. You'll notice on your outline, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Look at Proverbs 1, verse 8. My son, hear the instruction of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother. Implied right there, and really stated, is that a family is a father, it's a mother, and it's a son. Obviously a son or a daughter, a child. He's saying to the, to the child, pay attention. Assuming parents are godly, and that's what it comes to us, parents and his grandparents, that we have a, God, a desire to be godly before our children. Not perfect. Solomon wrote this. It's not perfect, particularly in the area of women. He was not perfect. But he was wise. He listened. He had some areas he needed to clean up. The family is God's foundation. Notice again Genesis. He created human beings, male and female. This is not a sermon on homosexuality. He created them male and female. God's idea of a family is a man and a woman. Look at Genesis 2.24 again. The man leaves his father and mother. He joined the old Hebrew, the old uh, English was cleaved to his wife. The two shall become one. It becomes a profound covenant relationship where the addition is like this. One man plus one woman equals one. Wait a minute, Randy. One plus one does not equal one. In God's economy, it does. One man, one woman equals one new entity. That's what the Hebrew of be joined means, that you create a separate, a third entity that is unique. It's called a marriage. A husband and a wife are joined. Two separate entities become one. And the Hebrew is you never can separate it into two separate entities again. When divorce happens, and it does happen, 
Yes, the marriage is dissolved. Don't tell me you don't take stuff into your life for the rest of your life. You do. That's just natural. It's just who you are. You have, a, you have emotions. You have a mind. But God says, here's my ideal. One man, one woman, create a totally separate entity. Remember, he wanted to reveal. It's all his idea. It's for his glory. He wanted to reveal himself to the world, and the world did not live like this. They were polygamous. They had many concubines. They had many wives. They didn't understand commitment. They didn't understand an emotional relationship. One person. That's it. God was saying, this is my ideal. Be joined. And then this new entity is to bear fruit. And that fruit is children. And then the children can see how the husband and the wife love each other. They see what God, how special this is and realize it's God's idea. And he wants to relate to me like a father. You see, as I mentioned earlier, my father was not a Christian. He didn't have a good relationship. But I saw a godly man like my father-in-law when I met my wife to be at age 16. And I saw her father was not perfect. And he and I had many conversations. But I saw a difference in a man who knew God, knew Jesus, and his family was important to him. I never understood that, never seen it. That's what God's intent was. Secondly, the family is God's school. Look at verse 8 again. Very important. Hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. There's two things you'll take from this. You'll get life skills, but you'll also get life salvation. Life skills and life salvation. The family is God's basic building block for society. It's where the next generation learns how to live both now and forever. When we do parent commitments down here, like if Russ and Amy bring Brooks, who should be named Randy, up here. And, we, and Brooks, who should be named Randy, will he know what's going on? No, but one day he will when I straighten him out. But Brooks, who should be named Randy, will be up here. And who's making the commitment? Brooks, who should be named Randy? Or Russ and Amy, who should have named him Randy and did not? First thing we'll do is pray for them for making that heinous mistake. All right, so what we do, they're making a commitment before God and you that they're going to rear Brooks who, they're going to rear Brooks to come to know Jesus one day. No promise, no guarantee, but they're going to show him Jesus. They're going to live Jesus before him. And then one day Brooks is going to ask, hey, Dad, you know, I know my name should be Randy, but let's put that aside for a moment. Hey, Dad, who is this Jesus guy that I hear about at church and you and Mom talk about and we pray to and in his name? Who is he? Is he going to see that in a home where, where Jesus is not honored? I did eventually, by the grace of God. But this is the way God wants it. You build them. You show them. In this building block, two things I want you to notice. Instruction. That's a credible word. It means reproof, chastisement, discipline, warning. Look again at verse 8. Hear the instruction of your father. When your father corrects you, when your father has to discipline you, when your father has to warn you about something, he says, son, learn from that. My dad wasn't a Christian, but my dad had my attention when he picked up his house shoe that had that flopped like this and had a wooden heel on it. And he said, you're going to get a whipping. What did I immediately know? It's going to hurt. I don't want this. And it's not my fault. My brother did it. My dad would just whip us all because he wasn't sure. Three of us, he just whipped all three of us. And normally it was my older brother's fault, but I got it anyway. The point is, as a Christian father, how many of you ever heard, how many of you ever said this? You spanked your child, this hurts me more than it does you. Did you ever say that? Oh, you didn't? Well, that's good. Have you ever felt that? Yeah, I remember my dad saying that. I didn't believe it because he wasn't crying. I was. But I understood it when I had to whip my son in particular. I never really whipped my girls much. They, uh, Beth, I couldn't ever figure out, and Martha, Martha obeyed pretty good, so I never really had to whip them. But Andy was, a, I, my arm, I've got tendonitis right in this arm from having to whip him so much. I didn't like doing it, but I knew I had to. Why? Because I loved him. And he had to learn, you can't do that. That when you do that, that hurts. 
By the way, the book of Proverbs even tells you where to hit him. Is the lower part of your back or fleshy area? I'll let you take it from there. Instruction, when son, pay attention. Know why your dad's doing this. And one of the things I've always told parents, especially when I was doing youth work, you should punish, you should discipline, you should warn, but always explain why. Always sit them down for and never do it when you're mad. And I didn't always do it right. Sometimes I was mad and I just snapped. But I should come down, I have to come back and apologize when I'm wrong. They learn from that as well, don't they? Fathers, pay attention. But then the other thing I want you to notice is the law of your mother. It's beautiful. The godly influence that you get from your mother. She instructs, as she warns, as she disciplines also. Paul wrote these words to Timothy in 2 Timothy. He says, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, Timothy, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. But you must continue in the things that you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you learned them, and that from childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul, Timothy was his son in the faith. He mentored Timothy. But you notice here... Paul's, uh, Timothy's father was a Greek and probably didn't know the scripture. And Paul is saying, your grandmother and your mother, they were there for you. They taught you the scripture. Don't ever forget it. Remember who you learned it from, not just what they taught you, but how they modeled it for you, and then you go live it out. You see, Paul was going to pass the baton to Timothy to carry on. And he's saying to him, you have a great heritage from your mother and your grandmother. Didn't mention his father, didn't mention his grandfather. He mentioned his mother and his grandmother because Paul knew that they were believers. And Timothy had seen it in them, and he was drawn to, I want to know Jesus as well. And so in our families and in your family, do you talk about the Bible? Do you try to model it? Do you want your kids? It's not just something we do at church. It's our life, the Holy Scripture. You see, the church is a partner with you. When Russ and Amy bring Brooks, who should be named Randy, down here, and they have Parent Commitment Day, one of the things we also do is that we as a congregation commit to be part of that, don't we? That we too will be here. And when Brooks is in the nursery and he's causing trouble, we'll be here. As he grows and he learns and he's part of the, the children's ministry, part of the youth ministry and growing up, that we'll be here. We'll be part of it. The people that are over there right now working, people that are there week after week, it's a very special place to be part of molding, modeling, being involved in the lives of young minds, precious things. And that from birth begin put into God. Because this is what life's all about, is the eternal word of God. Number three. The family's heartbeat is reverence for God. What I was just alluding to, but look back at verse 7. Verse 7 is the theme of the book of, it sums up the theme of the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Alluded to this earlier, fear, wisdom, the instruction. Fear, it's an interesting term. When I was growing up, I was deathly afraid of God, but it wasn't a healthy fear. It was terror that he would get me. If I was bad, it's not what it's talking about. What it's talking about, the Hebrew means of submissive reverence to the one true God. It's an awe, a reverential awe for who your dad, who your father is. The idea is this. I want to please him in every way I can, not because he's going to get me if I'm bad, because I love him so much, that I want to hate sin in my life because he hates sin. He loves me. Jesus died for me. Jesus saved me because I can save myself. And my attitude to be in fear of my God, I don't want to disappoint I want him to say, that's my, and I'm proud. He healthy fear that I want to hate what God hates. I want to be in awe of who he is. I don't want to disappoint him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So in your family, the modeling you do, the teaching you do, the correcting you do, the disciplining you do, all of it as a parent 
comes back to and begins with the fear of the Lord. If I don't have it as a father, can I impart that to my children? It begins with me as a father, me as a mom, us as parents, us as husband and wife modeling that for our children. For example, my son got married a week ago, whenever it was. Hopefully he learned something about how to be a man from his dad, how to treat women from his dad, how to be a godly man from his dad. He also learned the wrong way to do things, some things from his dad. But I'm still his dad, and hopefully he still can learn things from me. Hopefully he learned what he needed in a wife from watching his mother. Same thing with our girls. They were looking for a husband. Your children, vital they understand God's priority in family. Look at Proverbs 14 on your outline. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and his children will have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. That's the bottom line, is that in our families, the fear of the Lord says to our children, you want to escape eternal death, you come to God. You really want to know life and have peace and hope in this life, you turn to God through Jesus Christ. Fools in contrast, look at verse 7 again. A fool in contrast says, no, I'll do it my way. And what happens to them is destroyed. He is destroyed. He rejects God. A.W. Tozer, a great theologian, said, What you think about God is the most important thing about you. To know God is to fear him and to be stunned. I love this quote. To be stunned by the splendor of his presence. I want to be in God's presence. I want to know him, and I want my children to know him. That's So the last point, verse 8. Actually, next to last, we'll quickly do it. Children are to be submissive. Two quick points. They are to be submissive at home, and they are to be submissive away from home. At home and away from home. Here's how that works. Look at verse 8 again. My son, hear and do not forsake. The idea is this. At home, that's the classroom. You go, you learn, you see it, model, you hear. Revelation several times says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Don't just hear it, internalize it, apply it, hear it, pay attention. Don't just listen, pay attention, learn. That's what Mary says to me all the time. Don't just listen, pay attention, learn. You learn it at home in the classroom and then Do not forsake. When you go out into the world, live it. You learn it at home, and then you live it out in the world. But you also have to live it at home. Sometimes the hardest place to live it is at home. You learn it, you live it. You hear it, you do not forsake. 1 Peter chapter 3 says these words. Do not let your adornment to the wife. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. And then to husband, dwell with your wives with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Our children need to understand the difference between a man and a woman physically, emotionally, and understand so much in our culture, we're so narcissistic in the United States. So much is outward. The Bible says God looks at the heart. And our kids need to understand that hidden beauty of who you are. That's what God's looking Does it mean a woman should not wear makeup? Of course not. We don't want to look at them. Just kidding. What it means is, what's your priority? Where's your focus? What's the most thing to you? It has to be the hidden beauty of the heart. And then he says to the husband, or your wife, honor her. Be special to God. Be special to you. Kids need to know that. They need to see how special your wife, their mommy, is special to you. So that when they're out there thinking about dating, for example, what are they looking for? Especially girls. What are they looking for? Because a lot of times they don't even know what a good man is. They don't know what to look for. They need to see it. 
So he says to children, honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord God has given to you. This was a serious priority to God. Children, honor your parents. And then Ephesians, honor your father and mother. It's the first commandment with promise. It's the first time God says, I'll give you something. You honor your parents, I give you a good life, a long life. And in verse 9, the submissive will be rewarded. Children, they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck if you obey your parents, if you honor them. If you heed the godly wisdom from your parents, here's the idea in verse 9. Just like you put a wreath around or a neck, a, a beautiful necklace around your neck or a wreath on your head for an accomplishment, he's saying if you honor and are submissive to the wisdom of your parents and you learn from it and you are wise and not a fool, it will add to the beauty of your character before your God. It's like that necklace or that wreath adds to your outward appearance. If you listen to the wisdom and you heed it, it will be beautiful in the eyes of God. Last thing I want you to notice is on your outline, I love the simplicity of Proverbs 23. Look at this. Listen to your father who begot you. Do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. Let your father and your mother be glad and let her who bore you rejoice. Let her who bore you rejoice. Used to hear it years ago, and I, I really didn't understand it, but the older I get, the more I understand it. I, my, I'd hear elderly ladies at church talk about their adult children and say, boy, they just make me happy. Because wherever they were in their lives, they weren't living for the Lord. The older they get, the more, the more I see it. My children are all grown. My youngest child is 26, but they're still my children, aren't they? And they always will be. And what I want for them is this. To have a family that honors God, models, so my grandchildren will live it before the culture. Because guess what? I won't be here forever. Neither will their parents. Unless Jesus comes back, that generation's got to take over, doesn't it? And that's what God Seems simple. God has family. You can see them right there in it. Lord, we do thank you for your word. I, I think sometimes, Father, we just read it because we're supposed to read it, and we miss the truth. I pray just like that simplicity of Proverbs 23, we'd always buy the truth. What was it mom was trying to teach you? What is it mom's trying to teach you? What is it dad wants me to do? They're not just old and dumb. Maybe they know something. We thank you for wisdom. I pray we would be wise. We would understand and we would live it before our kids so that they would not be fooled. They would buy the truth and not reject it. And I pray, Father, for us as Christians, even ones who are not parents, that we understand we have a position as well as Christian church to model truth to younger people so that they can see that it's real. I pray you'd use us as Christians. We'd be committed to that. And Lord, for somebody here who's not a Christian, they would understand it's foolish. It will destroy me. Reject Christ. Today, the day they say yes, we pray in his name.